Hello, everyone, and welcome to Wednesday Night Live. I am Ron Crawford. I'm the pastor of the Father's Church in Dallas, Texas, and it is a great privilege on this beautiful Wednesday where it is in Dallas, uh, thundering, lightning, raining. I've been in the sanctuary here at our church, um, no music on, listening to the uh, the orchestration of God's rain and thunder and watching the lightning beam through our beautiful stained glass windows and um, just been enjoying the Lord's presence. And so from this atmosphere where it's really dark in the sanctuary right now, uh, I am privileged to be able to reach out not only to my congregation, but to our Saints Network family. We certainly appreciate all of you. We pray for you, and we look forward to what God is, um, God is doing in your life and, and in the place where God has called you to serve. We're being, uh, as much as we can, faithful stewards of the mission that God has given us as saints, um, had uh, extended discussions over the past number of days concerning our outreach to Brazil and South America. We, uh, we are seeing um, the planning of a new weekly broadcast. We're seeing the planning of uh, a, an ongoing school to be based in Sao Paulo, but then we'll be able to be extended out throughout the entirety of the Brazilian nation. We are um, we're seeing a, 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 at least a monthly gathering of pastors and leaders where we can bring um, messages from the scripture, probably in two parts, uh, that the pastor can then grasp. It's revelatory, and then they can study it and loose that into, the, into their churches. Um, pray for us. In fact, we have a meeting after this broadcast. Our, our brother, Scott Mastin, is coming up, and we're going to be meeting with uh, our, our very much appreciated reps um, to kind of troubleshoot some of, the, some of the technical problems that always emerge when you start a new work, and specifically if you're connecting three countries to do it. Um, so it's exciting, and, and with that, the ministry to our French-speaking brothers and sisters continues. I mean, we have the weekly broadcast. We, we currently are um, seeing a, a continuation of the teachings that are being offered um, from our network leaders. <clears throat> currently, um, Denise Anderson is uh, from the Dwelling House in, in Tampa is is engaged in teaching our French saints. Um, you know, Monica Terrell from here has done that. And Vicky Sparrow from Port St. John in Florida has done that. Um, we continue to try every way we can to not only teach, but to equip leaders. And then, you know, there are other things that are going on. I'm in discussions right now, regularly with uh, Pastor Emmanuel Faladin 
who represents the Nation's Prayer and Fasting Network in Nigeria and into Western Africa, and I'm sure also into uh, the other English speaking the English speaking nations to the east. Um, <clears throat> uh, in fact, I was communicating with him yesterday. So we're we're trying every way we can um, to be busy in the fields of our Father. Um, I I hear reports of the way God is opening doors for uh, our saints to minister, and I'm not going to regale every one of them today, so if I don't mention you, please forgive me. But, um, you know, I heard from our brother George um, Durham, who is, uh, has got an, an open door to minister at a church there near where he and Paula live in Arizona, and um, going to be... Uh, doing a teaching on uh, how to study the Bible. Isn't that something? <laughs> so uh, we bless that. But I believe that uh, this year of breakthrough is um, burgeoning all around us. We look forward to uh, lots of things that God is going to be opening, but we're not just sitting on our hands waiting. You know, we're doing what we can through his grace to serve now. So continue to pray that uh, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached throughout all the world for a witness because the end is near. I'm not going to wear a placard outside and walk up and down on Abram's Road with that. Remember that story that Lincoln told? He told a lot of jokes, but he told about this lawyer who got a, a bird as a pet, a you know, a one of those birds that can can speak and repeat things. And he said that every day when this bird would be aroused, it would say, um, the end is near. Today is the day of your passing. And he said that every day. And after, uh, after a number of weeks of this, the attorney got tired of it and eliminated the bird, thus fulfilling the bird's promise so uh, I am not uh, I am not saying that I'm going to start going to visit Pastor Fulton in Times Square and walk around with an end is near placard but we know that just from the signs that are around us that the fulfillment of scriptures the things the spirit has said that um, we are we're very much we're very much um, in those days, you know, I saw a uh, an article the other day about um, some new technology that is available now, where um, you you can see that they've developed a a chip, a little microscopic, very small chip that can be inserted in the hand. Uh, between the thumb and the pointer finger, down in that meaty area. And um, through that, people can buy and sell. They can wave it under the scanners at the supermarket, and uh, their financial uh, information regarding how they transact business is communicated. And it's, it's, in the quote of this article, it's fascinating people, you know, 
Um, and they said that they're working very, very quickly now. And you know how tech, technology develops exponentially. They're, they're working very quickly now to also include a person's medical records and uh, a person's identity. And um, they're saying that this could be a solution to identity theft. Uh, of course, they'd have to go a little bit further than that because a lot of this identity theft is done online. Whether you've got a chip in your hand or whether you've got it, uh, the information in your wallet, they try to do those things just getting lost in the web. But just imagine that. I mean, that's, uh, that is an incredible thing. And it was ballyhooed. People from all over the place were saying, oh, this is wonderful. How liberating it is. And um, so I reiterate that the things that we have read in Scripture and continue to read in Scripture are being unfolded in front of our eyes. And um, I, I know that every generation of Christians thinks that, that's, that theirs is the last. Even in the days when Paul the Apostle was writing to the churches, he said, you know, some of you are confused that there are people who are dying and Jesus hasn't come yet. And you remember reading those things. But I think every sane person recognized that uh, to, a, to a large degree, a lot of things that the Scripture prophesied would happen in the end time was not technically possible during those days. And um, I, I know that when I talk about something that I just mentioned, that's just now being made available and launched into the economic systems. Now, how long, how quickly this is going to pass, I, I don't know. I mean, uh, I, I think that we, we have to remember that we have a job to do. There is something we can control. We have a job to do. We, uh, we need to be in prayer. We need to go and work for the night is coming. And the night is coming when no man can work. And so we need to be busy about the master's kingdom. And we need to be in prayer because the scripture says in the book of Daniel that the enemy is doing his best to change the times. I don't think that has anything to do with time travel. I think that has to do with the enemy's understanding of what the scripture says and what he he gleaned um, in other ways. And so he says, you know, I'm going to corrupt this system and I'm I'm not going to give the allotted time. I'm, I'm not going to allow to the best of his ability the allotted time where people can work. I'm going to try to hasten that to make it happen quicker or to, to do everything he could to, to restrict that. I think that's how you change the times. Um, I think that there are ways you can manipulate. I think there are ways that you can obstruct. I think there are ways that you can hinder. And, you know, if you sat down and just thought about it, you could deduce that on your own. However, um, we work. And so we're trying our very best as saints. We're praying to do with what God has made us stewards of, to make disciples, to sow this 
message biblically of the kingdom and how it operates. And um, so let's continue to pray and, and be ready. I did want to announce that this coming Friday uh, at 9 in the morning, Dallas time, I'll be broadcasting from here on this Good Friday, just a, a very brief time of, of uh, giving thanks to Jesus for his sacrifice for us and initiating a day of Holy Communion. And um, so if you would like to join at that time, that would be great. But our church, for our members of our congregation, will be open throughout the day. We will have the elements of communion here, and you can come and whenever you would like. Spend time with the Lord, commune with Him, give Him thanks, love Him. And uh, I, I know that that will be a blessing. I also wanted to, before we get into the Word, and I do have a message for today, um, I, I did want to just touch base on what the Heavenly Father gave to me to release this past Sunday, which for those of you who are listening on archive was uh, April 10th. And I spoke about um, I spoke about Jesus looking out over the city of Jerusalem on his entry there in the week leading up to, his crucifixion and resurrection, and what he what he said, what he lamented the most as he wept, as he viewed, and as he wept, and I linked that with um, the Valley of Baca. I linked I linked um, the seeing and the weeping uh, with those passages. But the one thing that we arrived at. Uh, was the idea of how the the Hebrew uh, word most readily translated as I was I-N. It is a letter in the Hebrew alphabet, and that signification was used. I don't want to say in shorthand, but it was used and recognized as 70 in accounting purposes, which is very significant. And we talked about a number of, we talked about a number of things about how that was uh, very important. So in essence, we linked 70 with um, the eyes of the Lord because that was very clearly something that is is there in the understanding of the language and how it was used in economic ways and in accounting ways. We also linked it with the ways of God, which is what the eyes of God indicate and we 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 spoke about this and really proclaimed it now i just want to add a couple of things we're not going to teach on this today but how many times 70 or the concept of 70 was used in scripture how many years does god promise us 70 so we have that length of time when, again, I know that some people die younger and people are living much longer. So it wasn't a hard and fast rule that, you know, you're going to get 70 or when you hit 70, your time is up. 
but it indicates that for mankind, we're really put on this earth for a span to serve the ways of God and to partner with him in, in, in conjunction with his eyes, his, his seven spirits. Um, both Moses and Jesus appointed 70 who would be those who were like a pneumaticos group. Jesus sent them out two by two, and he gave them power. He gave, he gave them power over demons. He gave them power to heal. He gave them power mostly to teach and preach the gospel of the kingdom. But it was 70. Moses had this too. A specialized group that numbered that total, which represented a people who should have been in, um, in absolute commitment to the ways of God. And, and with that, you've, you've got to keep your focus. You've got to keep your focus. How many years was uh, Israel sent into bondage in Babylon? Well, you should know the answer. Why did God do that instead of 40 years? 40 years is generation. Well, we know that iniquity passes on to generations. But the 70 speaks about, look, you, you have this temple here. You've not been partnering with my ways. You've not been partnering with my identity. So he gave them that 70-year time frame. What about Daniel's prophecy where Gabriel spoke of the 70 weeks? Oh, man, the, the commentary on that one is all over the map. All over the map. Oh, my goodness. You open a can of worms when you start talking about that. But one of the best interpretations of that, without going into it in great detail, is that those 70 weeks uh, represented numerically the time from... Um, when the the people of God were sent away to the time when Jesus was was sacrificed. Um, and that it plays out very well. And then there's an additional week that was suspended, which would characterize the the seven years of what would be the the tribulation period. Now, I'm not going to get into eschatology because I'm going to tell you, no, only the Father knows the time. Only the Father knows the time. And I, I, in, I've studied this. I listened. I grew up during the, the fervor of, you know, Jesus is coming back in the 70s, the rapture films. Um, and I heard this preaching all my life, all my life. And I believe this, but the timing of it is up in the air. It's in the Father's hands. And I, um, I know that if you really want to get confused, if you want to get into an argument or debate, you just start talking about this with people because opinions are all over the map and they're very passionately held. But the main, the main thing is that God is going to honor his word, but he spoke in 70s. What about um, what about Jesus' command that you got to forgive somebody seventy times seven? 
Well, that is it's kind of comical if you just take it at face value. I mean, what would you be doing if you've got somebody that really irritates you? Do you have a little abacus or, or your phone and you just are keeping track of all the times they tick you off and you forgive them? And then when it gets to 490, Katie, bar the door. I have fulfilled my obligation. Now I'm going to tear into you. Is that what Jesus meant? Of course not. So if, if you grasp the scenario of 70, which is the commitment to um, his eyes, the way God is going to move, how he has everything in control, and the seven, which really speaks about God doing specific tasks according to his ways. When things come to you that are irritating or painful or uh, people do things that are wrong, um, you forgive them in accordance with your understanding that you're here as a 70. That's, that's what God said. The number of your days is that. You should be committed to that, and you should also be committed to what God is doing at this very moment that you're partnering with him. So you have the overall plan of God, and then you have the specific manifestation of that. It's another type of a variation of Logos and Rhema, another derivation of Kronos and Kairos. And um, so you just, you just have to view what people do through that lens. It doesn't make it easier. I mean, we still struggle with things that, you know, there are things that people do that they're innocent, but they hurt you. There are things that people do that are inconsiderate. There are things that people do that are just aggressively against you because they're just ornery. There are people that, things that people do because they're power hungry. People that, uh, things that people do because they, uh, they just like being mean-spirited. And there, it's all over the map for why you would forgive somebody. Somebody you trusted did you wrong. Oh, I'll never be able to get over it. Look, I'm not saying it doesn't hurt, but you need to recognize that in the big scope of things, what you do on this earth in your allotted time is all that's going to carry into eternity. What you did or didn't do. And then, what is this person doing right now that could be hindering me from participating in what God is doing at this moment in his ways? So you forgive them in accordance with your eternal, uh, your eternal planting for the time you have on this earth and what you should be participating with in God right now however his ways are his ways are are new every day how is he moving and that's the way you can get through the business of forgiveness because you'll never be able to extract you'll never be able to extract a a victory you know it's 
It's like we say today about the progressive movement or all the movements that are looking for uh, measures of, I, I don't want to say this word because I don't want to say restitution. I, I, all the people that seem to have some kind of an issue that they want um, solved, the people that push that for whatever reason can never take yes for an answer. Yes, you heard me right. They can never take yes for an answer because the, the, the mechanism of unforgiveness and vengeance and retaliation is a beast that is never satisfied. And it just keeps going and going and going. Even in the natural, if you forgive somebody who's hurt you, you still, unless the Spirit of God just comes and wipes it all away and you don't even think about it, you still have to deal with um, memory. You know, forgiveness doesn't do anything about your memory. Um, and so if, if, if you can recognize, look, I'm here for the Heavenly Father to partner with his eyes. And I'm also engaged right now with whatever the Spirit is trying to do at this frame that's how you forgive it's it's not getting even or getting vengeance or being healed you know the best way to be healed is to do now i know that at some point in some ways that that's difficult but i i, I remember reading stories of people who overcame tremendous points of um physical damage to their bodies and they would be told <coughs> you'll never do this again or you'll never do this again and I, I just read a story the other day of, of an athlete who was told that and the doctor the medical community was absolutely accurate in their assessment but the will to achieve the will to do caused this person to work and work and work function and through that then they overcame the limitations that in the natural had been forecast upon them and so you're never going to be able to go back and do things over or have do-overs but if you recognize that in this life we don't have hope the apostle paul said that if this life only I had hope, I would be, of all people, most miserable. This life, yes, we serve, but it has to be viewed in a bigger picture. That God put you here for a reason in this season. And um, you, you are supposed to be partnering with his ways. And through intercession and being faithful in obedience, you are engaged in whatever that, whatever the spirit is doing right now what the spirit is saying to the churches you don't want to miss that and you know really unforgiveness blocks you from both of those things because the end result of it is that you begin to question god why 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 did you let this happen or i could have done this had it not been for this thing happening and you can just go on down the line and and uh, the end result is you either doubt god or you doubt 
the fact that you can succeed. How many times in the scripture did we see people overcome horrific scenarios? We could list them. Samuel dropped off at Shiloh as a, as a toddler in the midst of a corrupt system. What mother does that? What, what type of an environment is for a Cinderella-like thing? That's not good. But yet it's what God did and he overcame and he triumphed for the nation, but for God mostly. What about David? Rejected by his own father repeatedly. D dismissed by his brothers. Hunted week after week by the king who wanted to kill him. In fact, before he was going to be, uh, be anointed as king, his own warriors that were with him wanted to stone him. How in the world could he ever do anything? What about Joseph? His brothers say he's dead, sell him into slavery, write him off, erase him from the family history to the, to the best of their ability. Joseph goes down into Egypt. He's falsely accused, thrown into jail. Promises are made. Those are forgotten. Should we go on? We have to remember that we are pneumaticos people. We are saints. This is our mission. This is our 70. And what's the Spirit saying to us now? We've got to do it. Forgive till 70 times 7? Yeah. Because it's not about us. It's about God. And if we can view things that way, that sets the whole that sets the whole table in its proper frame. I said I wasn't going to teach on that. But what I do have to share today is in regard to holy communion. And um, particularly something that is uh, kind of hidden in the New Testament, but it's there for us to study. The title of this message is Verily, Verily. And I want to begin by us looking. If you have your Bible handy, there's no teaching sheet, because if you can't find five or six verses in the Gospels, we need to send you to another class. <laughs> so the book of Mark being the second book in the New Testament. So you just go to the last book in the Old Testament, Malachi, and you hang a right, you say hello to Matthew, and then you proceed on to Mark. Neither shalt thou go unto Luke, but thou shalt stop at Mark. Mark 14, verses 22 through 25. And as they did eat, Jesus took bread and blessed and broke it and said and gave to them and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said unto them, This is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many. Verily I say unto you, I will drink no more of the fruit of the vine 
until that day that I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Now, we're aware of this story, but the thing that I felt the Spirit wanted me to bring before you today is that verily, in verse 25, is amen. Verily is that wonderful word that is a name of God. It speaks in the Old Testament of the right hand. It speaks of belief and faith. And it it speaks of uh, our going forth on behalf of what God is saying to us in a prophetic way from his right hand. That is our point of identity, and that's our point of function. So, you know, many times in, in the New Testament, verily is used. Verily, verily is used. And sometimes it speaks of truth. Sometimes it speaks of building but a predominant number of times, it is amen. And so I have an assignment for you in your devotionals. that You should go into the New Testament. You should use your Bible program or even your Strong's. And you should look up amen in Scripture and search where that word is used. And see all the places that Jesus and other writers through the power of the Holy Spirit used. Amen. Sometimes, many times, it's a double issuance. Amen, amen. And take special note of what the Bible is saying during those instances. Because I suspect that there is, first of all, something powerfully necessary for us to glean about how God operates from his throne and in faith when those those passages utilize amen. If it's a single use, great. If it's a double use, look at a deeper application, a more personal application as to how you function, as to how you assess the reception of whatever the Lord is saying there. And, you know, there are dozens of these, which is why I'm saying use it for a time of devotion, devotional study. And remember that it, remember what it means. Now here in the, um, in the, the narrative of the Lord's Supper, Amen is used uh, regarding the cup. And that that's wonderful. It says that there's an empowerment in the blood and that it has to do with the ongoing revelation of the kingdom of God among us. And somehow we can glean through this that this powerful blood, which for us as being born again, after we're born again, the initial application of the blood in our lives is for the cleansing, the remission, the sending away of sins, the adoption, 
as it were. So I'm not diminishing that. But if you have to have that done in your life at once a month, there's something wrong with your walk. I'm, I'm just telling you. But when you're born again, you come before the table of grace and God is releasing empowerments to you for, for what you're to be doing. There's something about the blood of Jesus during those encounters that touches the kingdom and it, it absolutely ignites in you a strengthening and awakening for what God is freshly saying from the right hand from the right hand of his throne and what your your mission is in the going forward do you see that let's look at another instance we're we're just going to look at this word uh in regard to the time around uh, the 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 Lord's supper and the time in this particular week that we celebrate. Let's look at John chapter 6. So, Mark, Luke, John. John chapter 6. See, I'm gone, I've gone old school here on you. I've got my phone here, but yet you hear the rustling of the leaves. John 6, 32. Through 35. Then Jesus said to them, Verily, verily, <laughs> look at that, verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. So the manna didn't come from heaven, even though they called it angel food. But the Father gives the true bread from heaven. He gives a double issuance there. Do you see that? Let's keep reading. For the bread of God is he which comes down from heaven and gives life unto the world. That's, that's great, isn't it? I love that. Let's keep reading. Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that comes to me shall never hunger. He that believes on me shall never thirst. Now, this is, this is very, very interesting to me. Uh, and, and I trust it would be to you as well. Because when you see verily, verily, in this passage, it's an amen Amen. So the Lord, anytime you have a double issuance, in other words, a word that is immediately repeated, it's, it's an expression of intimacy. It's an expression, uh, no matter how truthful it is, no matter how profound it is, when the double issuance comes, it is, it is of, of uh, essential meaning for you and who you are. So here Jesus says this about the bread that comes from the Father. And I think that's great, don't you? Because when the Father speaks to you, it's a gift to you as a person. When you're at the right hand of God, that's the most intimate place 
that you can be. Now, again, we could talk about the secret place of thunder. That's that's also part of that, uh, of that area in heaven. But really, at the right hand of God is the is the entry into that. So, this is an intimate time. So, Amen, Amen. I say to you. Uh, now, if you're in John, so let's just make it real easy for you. Go on down to verses 53 through 58. Here's a little bit of a different thing. Then Jesus said unto them, what's he going to say? Verily, verily. Verily, verily. Isn't that amazing? I say unto you. Wow, I, I just feel the Spirit so wonderfully here. Except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, which is which is the bread, and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whosoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eats my flesh and drinks my blood dwells in me, and I in him. As the living Father has sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is that bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna, and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. Isn't that wonderful? So here, in the same contextual flow of John 6, we find Jesus saying this double issuance. Now, I looked at another Bible program early this morning, which I do. I just want to just look from different angles just to make sure that what I'm saying to you is accurate, is correct. One of them says, Amen, Lego. Now, this olive tree, King James with Strong's, uh, brings the Lego after the double issuance of Amen, and it says it in, in the area of I say. Either way, it's Amen. But if it were Amen, Lego, what does that mean? I'm telling you, how you are going to find your measure of identity and develop through the right hand. And this is how it'll be. You're going to be with me in sharing the bread, sharing the cup. It's going to unify you with the Father at the throne. I, 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 that's, just, that's just really, really a wonderful thing. Now, sadly, you want to write these down? Of course, if you're going to study the, the verily amens, you'll see this. But Jesus speaks three times about being betrayed in this same, um, in this same time frame. Matthew 26, 21, Mark 14, 18, and John 13, 21. So, in conjunction with the Amen, he speaks about being betrayed. Why would that be? 
Why would that be? Because the original betrayal in the spirit realm was when Satan and then the angels who fell betrayed God. And, you know, when you read about Judas there at the Last Supper, the Bible says in two instances, first when he was, when Judas was making the plan, and then secondly after he put his hand in the sop, and Jesus said, what you do, go do, like, go do quickly. Um, it says that Satan was involved there, that Satan entered into him, that Satan inspired that plan. So for Jesus to three times mention once in three Gospels that, amen, there is a betrayal here. It spoke about what God originally wanted for his sons, for his hum for those that he would create in his image to partner with him at the right hand, which is why Jesus, the triumphant son of God, is seated at the right hand, uh, and why the enemy hated that from the beginning and wanted to kill it. So there's, there's a reason that Jesus would link the amen, the right hand, with this betrayal. Does that make sense? Of course it does, if you just think about it. But then one other time we want to mention. When Jesus was hanging there on the cross, Luke 23, verse 43, Jesus speaks to the thief who spoke in defense of the Lord. He says, Amen. Maybe we'll read it. Luke. Okay? So you go John, and then you go back to Luke. Luke 23:43. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto you, Today you will be with me in paradise. He uses Amen. The, the very thing that Jesus had come to do to offer himself as a sacrifice so that we could know our Father and we could be functioning at the right hand. That's what Jesus came to redeem. And really, this man, on behalf of the right hand, would be with Jesus in paradise that day. And of course, then we know the story of, we know parts of the story. Some of we have to be very careful to add uh, between the, the gaps in the, in the flow point. But Jesus was in paradise. He preached the gospel down there. Um, he, the, the, those who were righteous ones that died in the old covenant that were there in Abram's bosom, um, they accepted him. I'm assuming that all of them accepted him. We don't know that. 
But those who accepted him, then he led them captivity captive and in, led them into the heavens. And um, I, I just think that's, that's amazing. That, that's, just, that's just amazing. But he uses the term, amen. Um, and he says to this, this guy, you're going to be with me. You're, you're going to go with me. Can you imagine? I'm not, I don't know that this actually happened this way. But in that course of time where there, the three of them are hanging on the cross, their individual crosses, when Jesus died, um, that other, the thief was going to die too. I mean, but did, did he arrive in paradise before Jesus went there? Did he go with Jesus there? Did, was Jesus there and then this guy died a bit later and then came down and Jesus greeted him? We don't really know. We don't know when this other thief died. Now, you might say, well, they, Jesus gave up the ghost and they plunged the spear through to make sure he was dead. You know, we have record of people hanging in that way. It was horrific for much longer period of time. And then they finally die. Um, now, because it was the Passover, they could have broken the legs of all of them so that they would die before the sundown. My point is, if that even were true, we don't know who died first. But I, I just think that's interesting. You think about that. Here's, here's this guy. A day, lay, day before he had been a thief, judged and sentenced to die. Here he is. He says this righteous thing to Jesus. He believes. Jesus says, Amen. Now, we didn't see him ask Jesus to forgive him his sins. It probably is the case that the guy went with him to paradise as probably the last guy that died in the old covenant. And so he's down there with Moses and Abraham and Elijah, Samuel, David. And he's hearing this preaching too. And he was one of the ones who then accepted by virtue of the gospel. You may not think of things like that. I do. I think it's kind of interesting. It doesn't really matter what happened to this guy. We know, we know he was in paradise, and I'm assuming that he, if he knew what was, if he knew, if he knew <laughs> what was good for him, he accepted Christ, his Christ's sacrifice as the Messiah. We'll meet him one day in heaven. But for Jesus to use amen there. So he used amen in talking about the, um, the, the communion. He used amen in great degree uh, about the blood and then about the bread. And then he spoke about the betrayal with the amen. And then he spoke to the thief. Those are the amens that Jesus, um, that, that had to do with the, the Lord's Supper and the crucifixion. So, for me, that, that adds another element 
to our pursuit of the Lord at the table of communion because it does empower. We know this anyway, but, but here you apply the amen, the right hand, to the bread and to the wine and to the whole issue of um, what we're doing in spiritual warfare. I'm, I'm very, very, very grateful for that. And I intend during our communion time this week to thank the Lord for the empowerment of the table of the Lord, for what we do on behalf of the right hand of the throne. I invite you to do the same thing. But I also, again, invite you, you may have the day off on Friday, um, whether you do or not, just get your handy-dandy Bible program, look up one of these verses, find Amen, and then click on it and study where it's used in, um, in throughout the New Testament. Like I, I'm doing it right now. I, I clicked on Amen, and then I, I searched for, and voila, there it is. The first time it's used in the book of Matthew, for verily, amen, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. It's a pretty good one to begin with. Whatever God said in the from his throne throughout the old covenant, he means it. And it, and it goes on from there. What about the first issuance in Mark? Many, many Bible scholars believe that Mark was the first New Testament writing. Uh, perhaps, and, and then some of them who are naysayers say, well, you know what, Peter and um, Matthew and particularly Luke and John, they just all plagiarized Mark. They were all there. Why would they have to plagiarize anybody? I mean, it'd be like us going down through a, through a place and something happens to all of us. Um, we all have a story to tell. It wasn't that the person beside us really knew what was going on and we had no clue. Anyway, what's the first one in Mark? Mark 3.28. Amen, I say unto you, all sins shall be forgiven unto the sons of men and blasphemies wherewith soever they shall blaspheme. But he that blasphemes against the Holy Ghost will never experience forgiveness, but is in danger of eternal damnation. Ooh, that's a big one. Why is that important? Because of the betrayal of the enemy. The enemy did not want God's Spirit to move through mankind, and he, he still denies the validity of you and I partnering with God. Anyway, it's just interesting. But there's some others that are really, really very strategic usages of amen. It, it speaks about preaching. It speaks about the, the message of the gospel. It speaks about watching the servants who, who, who are watching for the Lord to come. Amen. Um, it, it's, it's really interesting. So if we cherish... The name of God, amen, and we cherish the understanding of it being the right hand or what 
the right, aman, means in the Old Testament and how it means belief, then we should recognize that the Spirit, who's the author of the Scriptures, would use that term, that word, and when he uses it, he means what it says. Why would he use it when he talks about this theme or that theme? This is meditation 101. Let the Spirit speak to you. So that's your assignment. And especially as we go to the Lord, um, he goes to the Lord, and um, I, I believe that I believe that as we partake of communion this week, remember all the things that God has shown us from his word in that process of communing with God. But add to it this understanding of the Amen. Well, God bless you. Thanks for joining. And don't forget that um, this coming Friday at 9 o'clock Dallas time, We'll be reaching out. If you can join us live then, great. Um, but let's have a day of, of communion with the Lord on that precious day of celebration of his gift, his sacrifice for each of us. Till next time, God bless and goodbye.